They say that experience is the best teacher, and the best way to learn from experience is to learn from others who have already found success. For this season of the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast, Michael has lined up a great group of successful people who will share their stories of how they got started and some powerful lessons from their accomplishments. He'll also be introducing you to people who are just starting on their entrepreneurship journey to share what they've learned so far. Success is not just about money, and we'll meet some people who have been successful in very unique ways. Entrepreneurship is an exciting journey, and we're glad to be along for the ride with you. Here's your host, the guy who knows a guy, Michael Whitehouse. Hello, and welcome to the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whitehouse, the guy who knows a guy himself, and today I have with me Mike Jezeshek. Mike is a modern, innovative CPA on a mission to ensure small business owners pay the least amount in taxes legally possible. He has been an entrepreneur his entire career. Throughout that journey, he has experienced all business stages from the good to the bad. This is why it has become his mission to help out businesses that are going through those successes and struggles. This is how the Small Business Tax Savings Podcast was born. His end goal is to help business owners in an area they are often not familiar with, accounting, and also ensure that they are paying the least amount in taxes legally possible. Welcome to the show, Mike. Michael, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Awesome. So, what makes you awesome, Mike? That's a good question. Um, you know, one thing that we look at when when, I, when I'm looking, okay, what are we doing that is really kind of making changes or making impacts to the world? And and really, it's just bringing awareness to small mm-hmm. business owners on the possibilities that are available out there when it comes to tax savings. When we talk to a new business owner, especially someone that's maybe never been a business owner ever, um, that they get thrown into this this realm of I'm a business owner now, and and people just expect them to know these types of things. Uh, they also have all these connections of, you know, their uncle's a business owner and he does this business and where they go to take in their car, that's a business owner. And they hear all these kind of little things like, oh, I just deduct everything on my return. That's how we get it done. Or or you got to be very careful about things you deduct. So don't deduct too much on your returns. And so it's people get so much information, whether it's from reading or just talking to other individuals uh, that really my goal and, and what we're kind of here to do is is inform small business owners on the options available to them for them for tax savings, how to implement them, and, and, and how to do it in a way that they can protect themselves should there be any type of audit or anything like that down the road. So really just kind of taking the experiences that I have, you know, not only being a business owner in, in multiple different industries and in different areas, taking some of the learning that I've had from that, bringing it to business owners while at the same time taking some of that knowledge and that that kind of learning aspect from a tax standpoint and bringing that, making that aware to clients or business owners uh, out there to, to know where our tax saving potentials are available and, mm-hmm. and things that maybe they're, they're not hearing mainstream. So just trying to kind of close up some of those holes um, while also maybe opening up their, their window on the tax saving strategy to things they maybe are not used to hearing about. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's hugely important. I mean, I've been, some version of a small business owner for for many many years but for my 2019 taxes i uh, was the last year i tried to use TurboTax to do it myself when it spit out that i owed thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and i went to my friend who was an accountant uh, who i hadn't been working with because my my finally simple enough she's like and i said uh so i have this giant tax bill can you help me with this and i hadn't filed yet like it's I, there was still time mm-hmm. and she looked at it and said yes yes i can cuz you're doing it i wasn't doing it wrong it wasn't illegal it was just 
a spectacularly large number at the bottom of the page, so I was doing it wrong. Um, but but the, the the solution to it was something that I never would have never would have come up with on my own, and didn't have the time, energy, or inclination to research because that's what you do. That's what a CPA does is know know all that crazy stuff. So that yeah, yeah it's, it's hugely important. And, and one thing that we hear also often is when people think of tax and when people hear tax, they're thinking about tax filing, tax preparation, all these documents and forms you have to fill in. And, and that's what we're trying to peel it off and say, yeah, that's that's required by law. That's something we have to do. But that's the last step. You know, mm-hmm. that, that information that you're reporting to the government agencies on those forms is all of the activity that recorded already that's already over with. And so we always say, that tax preparation, tax filing is important, required by law, and you want to make sure that's done correctly. But where our mind should be thinking before we even get to that point is in this current year, what can I do? What strategies can I implement? What can I be planning now doing tax planning current year to ensure that when I file my tax bill, when I do meet that account at the, at the end of the year, that I made sure that, that I'm going to be paying the least amount of taxes that I could possibly pay. And so that's where it's kind of just a mind shift of saying taxes isn't about filing and preparation mm-hmm. only. It's about comboing that with a tax planning strategy on top of it. That, that does sound important, especially because a lot of the tax code is built to incentivize certain actions. And you have to know what the incentives are to take the actions they're trying to make you take to get the incentives. Exactly. And we always say that, you know, the tax bill was written the way it was for a reason. And, mm-hmm. and if we're not going to take advantage of the way the t- tax bills was written, uh, we're simply just missing out on those tax saving potentials that are out there. And so, you know, it's that idea of, of not, you know, being able to understand what is available and, and then how to implement it um, makes people feel so much more comfortable. You know, if I tell someone or you you go to your auto body shop and they say, yeah, I hire my eight-year-old kid in my business. I get a business deduction. He pays no income taxes on that. They're going to be like, uh, this guy's doing fraud over here. That's not right. But then when we take the time to actually look into the law, we're like, yeah, that is possible. It's possible, but there's different things we need to do to make sure we're doing it correctly and making sure we're recording it correctly. And that's what helps the business owner sleep at night, knowing I took advantage of a strategy and I'm making sure that I'm doing it correctly so that if anyone comes knocking, here's the documentation and you're good to go. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So how did you get started with this? So I assume when you were eight, you, you got really excited about taxes and, and just started reading tax books. and, and you Yeah. You know, as soon as I popped out, I started <laughs> researching taxes and, and how we save it. Uh, no. So I, I've been uh, running some sort of business on my own since the age of 14. And I would say probably before that, it started even sooner just doing uh, going to auctions with my dad and, and buying different pieces of uh, stuff at an auction. You know, my our famous one was there was a bunch of bottle caps at an auction. And mm-hmm. it was like a lot of like 1500 just bottle caps. And for whatever reason, I don't even know what soda or drink it was. But we, we took those and, and bulked them into bags of 10 and sold them for the same price we bought the 1200 for. And, and so that was kind of my first relay into it. But it's, it quickly moved into the online marketing industry. And that's why I say at the age of 14, I started my first online business. And it was just an online marketing business and kind of bounced around within that industry uh, through high school into college. Uh, and, and I, you know, in college, I'm like, you know, I just want to have something that's a backup. I have a great job. I'm a partner in a company. We're doing some cool things on the marketing side. But I still want that degree just in case something might happen. I have something to lean up and back up against. And so that's where I decided to go into being an accountant. And so I went through college, still in that online marketing space. And um, 
and, and eventually got near graduation and the company that we were at, there were seven of us as partners and all doing all just incredible skill set in different areas of the online marketing industry. But because of that, we all wanted to kind of pull the company in the direction that we were all good at. And so mm. instead of trying to take one company, move it into seven different companies or try to pull it seven different directions, we said, you know, maybe it makes sense for us to to split off, which is at the point at that time where I said, OK, you know, I got the CPA. I love doing I love this industry. I love doing accounting and taxes. How can I dig deeper into that? And so that's kind of where the whole thing started. And, you know, from there, we've done a ton of different businesses. I've had really good uh, successes. I've had massive failures. There's been businesses where I'm the only owner uh, and then other businesses like the one I mentioned where there were seven partners of us. And so through that kind of wave of different styles of business, different industries, different ways of running it, um, I, I got to learn kind of a lot of different aspects of the business world, which has allowed me when I move into an accounting firm to really kind of be able to understand where people in different areas or walks of that business life cycle, I can understand where they're at, whether they're, you know, on a, on a way up peak doing very well, or they, they just had a massive failure and they're just restarting. Um, I've been in those situations, which helps me give some insight into kind of how we approach that. I can imagine. Well, so there's something you kind of uh, glossed over the beginning of your story, which was you started an online marketing business at 14. And you said like, oh, I just went out and started an online marketing business. Like somebody might go get a job at McDonald's. But there are many people who may be listening to this, but like, what do we need just started when we was 14? I've been trying to start one for three years and I can't get it off the ground. So, so tell us about your online marketing business you did when you were 14 and how you, how you so blithely set it up. <laughs> yeah, so it was it was a unique part, and it's something called affiliate marketing. So kind of a unique industry, a part of the online marketing mm-hmm. industry at the time. Uh, but the the premise about this way was uh, there would be companies out there that would pay you for people that sign up for their product, or you send okay. a lead to them. And so this was right when Netflix was kind of starting to come up, where they had the CDs and everything at this point in time. And uh, in Netflix would pay you. $50 for anyone that signed up for their $8.99 a month subscription or whatever it was. And so we created or, or you know, I, I created this website where uh, basically I would encourage people to get other people to sign up for things. And so by doing that, like on the website, I'd be like, hey, you want a new PlayStation? Refer to, you know, refer six of your friends to Netflix and I will send you a PlayStation. And basically, I, with them referring six friends to Netflix, I would get paid, say, $300, and I would buy a PlayStation for $200, send it to the person, and then obviously the middle there is the profit that was left on that. So that was kind of like the first actual business in, in what I call the online marketing industry. Before that, and kind of where I got introduced to that style of learning was um, was doing ebooks. So mm-hmm. I was working on eBay. I created an ebook like how to create your own cornhole game. And it'd be full set instructions on, you know, what type of wood to buy, where to drill the holes and do all that type of stuff. And I'd sell that ebook on, on eBay for 99 cents or something like that. So that's how I started getting into that. But it was very minimal type of activity until I kind of found this niche, I would say, in the online marketing industry and kind of expanded into into that business. Interesting. Yeah, this is an interesting model. They, and, and, and that... Well, you know, Netflix, I don't think is paying $50 uh, commission anymore. There's still plenty of others out there who are doing those kinds of things. Uh, and that's definitely a very, I mean, even Amazon, although I think their commission is like 3%. Uh, there's a lot of those, you can certainly build that sort of site where where it's that everything you need right here in one place sort of model. 
Um, I just wanted to share that for people who are out there being like, I'm trying to get entrepreneurship, but uh, I'm stuck on this one thing, usually the making money. So that's uh, <laughs> something I wanted to touch on. Yeah, so marketing is still, you know, alive and well. It, it's it's transformed a little bit on how how it does it. And a lot of times it's a commission base or, or something like that, but there's mm-hmm. still paper lead. You know, you send a lead to an insurance company, they'll give you ten dollars or whatever it is, and whether they close it or not. And then others are sale based performances. So we'll give you a Amazon example, we'll give you three percent on whatever the sales are or whatever, you know, that there's mm-hmm. sales based performance ones too. Yeah. Well it makes sense because if you look at, you know, cost of lead acquisition. To is fifty dollars, seventy, a hundred dollars. So if you can buy a lead for ten bucks, well, that's a pretty good deal mm-hmm. to to do that kind of thing. So yeah, it certainly makes a lot of sense. And it's all it's a matter of, of thinking. It's it's a question of arbitrage. Where is there someone who's who gets a higher value than the amount you're willing to accept for it? And any place that exists, the place you can make money, if you can build that relationship. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of where we expanded. So once I got into that type of industry, obviously meeting other people are doing something similar. And really, it just kind of took off from there in in that online marketing space. And there's a lot of different things, even like you talk about arbitrage, you know, there's there's programs out there, software out there where you can buy a, a book on Amazon and and turn around and resell it for more than you bought it for simply <laughs> because the way that's advertised or something like that. And so there's a lot of different ways that you can, you know, adjust things like that. Um, the industry that, that I got into after that was just more of that mass marketing side. So mm-hmm. instead of going to friends and family and saying, hey, can you guys go sign up for Netflix so I can get my PlayStation? It was more so, okay, how do we do media buys? How do we buy a piece on uh, a news station's website and, and advertise whatever product this Netflix is? We use Netflix as an example. Mm-hmm. How can I put an ad up on Netflix on a, tra- a site that's going to have a lot of viewers into it? And I'm not having to ask friends and family for these to sign up for this service like that. So that's where it kind of evaluated from just doing that smaller business into, okay, how do we do mass media buys? How do we do advertising across different areas and, and kind of expand this to, to another level? I, I've always had the thought a lot of marketing people who claim that they can, you know, I can generate leads for, for 70 cents a piece. Well, if you can generate leads for 70 cents a piece, then why don't you do affiliate marketing? Mm-hmm. Because you know, if they're they're willing to pay ten dollars for a lead, and you can generate it for seventy cents. Um, that as a litmus test, I've used with some some marketing people who who claim they can generate leads. Oh yeah, I'm great at generating leads. Cool. Well, so here's my affiliate program, and anyone you send who buys a, a ticket or whatever, you'll get ten bucks, and and you could should be able to get your cost of acquisition under five dollars, and send them in as many as you got. I'll sell, yeah. and remarkably, very few of them actually sell. <laughs> and that's the difficulty in the marketing industry. And, and, you know, something that we face too, is that there is just, um, you know, it's hard to, you know, the, the creatives and, and the people that you're targeting change so frequently. So mm-hmm. we could have this campaign together that we're generating auto insurance sales leads for, you know, a dollar 25 and selling them for five bucks. Mm-hmm. Now the next week, Something could change in there, and now that dollar twenty-five is going to eight dollars. Now we're selling for five. We're losing money on that type of thing. So it's it's always a constantly moving uh, target that you have. It's mm-hmm. it's very hard to just have a set it and forget it. And this thing is just going to work the same way, the same results. Uh, you know, year after year after year. It's more it's more so kind of that tweaking and that optimizing of campaigns yeah. on where we learned in the marketing side that the, there's potential for adjustments there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But but yeah, so there's a lot of things, a lot of marketing companies out there um, 
because I, I've sold magazine ads and some other things. And I've seen a lot of those companies that, that, that the challenges when you're selling a, a more legitimate product is the people who are selling dreams. And if the client hasn't actually worked with them, they're like, well, they say they can get me leads for a dollar each. Have you worked with them? Well, no, but they say they can do it. And, and you're not saying you can do that. Like, that's because I'm not lying. <laughs> yeah. Another reality. <laughs> yeah. But if they can do that, absolutely. Go work with them. And then when it doesn't work, come back. Yeah. No, that's yeah. exactly right. Mm-hmm. So so back to the what you do now in the, the world of CPA, uh, what are some of the most common mistakes you see people making that are they're sort of those low-hanging fruits they can they can fix from advice they learn on, on this podcast? Yeah, and you know, we kind of talked about that one right at the beginning. The the, the biggest thing that we see is is people not tax planning, not planning mm-hmm. for their taxes. They think of this as this tax idea as something you do once a year. And, and that is just the, the problem that we see is when you come with those tax bills in tax season, sure, there's some strategies available, but those strategies might be three, four, five options available after the year's over. But if you come to uh, and learn those strategies and implement them throughout the year, now that strategy door is wide open. And, and so that's kind of the biggest thing that we always, and, and as part of our podcast, we're sharing these ideas on a continual basis, encouraging people that if you want to take advantage of this, you need to be doing it before the year's over. A lot of times they'll, they'll, they'll meet with their accountant, they'll have a big tax bill. And this is where people learn how to do tax planning is they get stuck with a big tax bill and the accountant's like, well, we can put some money into an IRA or something like that. That's going to lower it by this much, but there's only so much that we can do. And so they're like, okay, they bite the bullet. They pay a big tax bill that year. And then they're like, I'm not doing that again. How do I fix this? And so that's when they go and do it. And so that's really kind of our goal is to say, how can we bring that, that uh, awareness there? So tax planning is a huge thing. Um, and we're not looking at necessarily just the tax side. If we look at the accounting side, it's this idea of doing bookkeeping and, and utilizing that information. The bookkeeping can be uh, an annoying task. So many business owners will just be like, how are we doing? They just look at their bank accounts. Says, oh, their bank account's up $10,000, so we must have had a good month. Or their bank account's down, so we must be uh, struggling right now. In, in judging business performance based on a bank account can be so detrimental to businesses. And so that's why we say the importance of bookkeeping isn't just so now we have a nice, tidy financial set that we can give to our accountant in tax season, but it's also making sure that we can utilize that information during the year on how are we doing. And, and, and again, that's going to be term different business sizes. A solo business owner uh, might not see the value in bookkeeping until they actually start to do it on a more regular basis. So those are one things that we always say is on, on the bookkeeping side is making sure you're doing it regularly. And is kind of coinciding with that is this idea of separation of business and personal. So many small business owners, especially solo business owners, sole proprietors, they're they're commingling all their activity into one account. So they just have a checking account. There's personal expenses going there. There's business expenses. Oh, and, and not only does that make it hard to to make sure that you're ensuring you get every tax deduction because you might be missing something you don't remember was that business or personal. Um, it's hard to prove to the IRS the business purpose to it because it's mixed with everything else. Or you might be overtaking deductions that are not even allowed. And, and so that's why we always say keep, you know, that's that's one of the, the golden rules is making sure that you're separating business activity from anything personal related. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and again, that po- your podcast is the Small Business Tax Savings Podcast. 
which will, of course, be in the show notes. But as somebody mentioned a number of episodes ago, nobody reads the show notes. So I'll <laughs> say the name of your podcast a couple times. So maybe they'll write down Small Business Tax Savings Podcast. Um, but yeah, that's it's a great point with the, the bookkeeping that that I, I've been part of some some organizations where they try to run it that way. And, uh, you know, not, it's a, a charitable organization and someone will come for a grant and they'll say, do we have the money for that? Well, we have three thousand dollars in the account. Okay, that tells me absolutely nothing. <laughs> How much of that is encumbered? What do you mean? Okay. <laughs> How yeah. many bills do we have that have to be paid with the 3000 Because if that number is 4000 we don't have any money. If that number is zero, we have $3,000 to play with. And 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 yeah, it was, all, it was all mingled together in one one organizational account. And it was so hard to make decisions, even on the small scale, with that, and you know, another example is you, you sign a huge client, they sign a, a big contract, and they're going to be paying you ten thousand dollars a month the next twelve months, but you have to lay out five thousand dollars to start up the start up the, the the deal, whatever you're doing. Well, your bank account's going to show you're in really rough shape. Mm-hmm. But you know, proper bookkeeping will show that you you actually have something good going on. But if you go into panic mode, like, oh my goodness, we're in terrible shape, and you start panicking uh, when you just land to the deal of a lifetime. That that's where bookkeeping can really uh, really be valuable there. So a really great point there. Yeah, and it, it's oftentimes something that is is relatively easy to do, especially at a small business level. Um, just getting some of your bookkeeping done is, is something that you can do as a business owner. And if you don't want to do it as a business owner, there's some pretty reasonable resources out there that can kind of handle that for you, or you can learn it yourself, or have someone else learn it inside your team. But but it's just the importance of not just doing your bookkeeping. That's great. That's going to help when tax time comes. But it's utilizing that information throughout the year, saying, how is our business performing? We did a marketing campaign in March. How is that showing in April and May? Our sales mm-hmm. up, our sales down. Um, you know, a, a famous one that we always find out is when we bring on a client, we'll initially look through their books, look at some of their expenses. We'll find subscription services that have been being charged for three years that the clients never even used. And so it's 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 kind of finding how can we define some cost-cutting opportunities within uh, yep. bookkeeping? How can we see how different performance, uh, different campaigns we put together, how are those performing for us? Uh, it's not just a tax resource, although it's, it's great to have great bookkeeping when it comes to tax purposes, but it also is so much helpful in so many other ways. Yeah, yeah, that's... That's definitely quite uh, quite crucial. So, so what do you think of using something like you know QuickBooks, um, self employed, or something like that that just automatically track? Of course, you have to categorize your expenses, but but that automatically tracks it and and identifies them as they occur. Yeah, absolutely. I always highly recommend using some just online cloud based software. You know, whether it's mm-hmm. QuickBooks uh, online, QuickBooks self employed. There's a software out there called Zero that we that we use heavily. Uh, but just having an online kind of cloud-based software, because what those software pieces will do is they'll connect directly to your bank account yep. and download all those transactions directly in for you. So then your job is just to record it. What type of expense is this? Or was it income? What type of it is? But you don't have to manually enter every single transaction because they're automatically being downloaded through the software from your bank or credit card. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You never realize how many transactions you do in a month until you try to manually copy them over. Oh, that would be brutal. <laughs> you know, having to manually enter every transaction. I, and I can see why people might be hesitant about bookkeeping because that's what they think it actually is. And, and mm-hmm. in reality, it's so much easier than that. We have robots for this. Yeah, that's what the, the software companies are for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have computers for that. Yeah, yeah but in, early in my, my marriage, I was, I was trying to set up some systems for our, our personal finances. And there was um, 
I don't remember exactly how we're doing, but there was, there was something that my wife, um, she was supposed to only use a certain card for certain things. Uh, and she kept being like, oh, what, what's the difference? She just kept swiping that card. And so instead of there being six or eight transactions a month, there'd be 24. And I'm like, listen, okay, look at the spreadsheet. You see all these. I had to copy them all annually. We have a system. Follow the system. Follow <laughs> the system. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and in terms of, of systems, where do you, are, are there common places you find that people, uh, business owners can create systems that make their lives easier and, and can, can take away some of that, that grunt work or worse yet work they just end up not doing? Yeah, for sure. I mean, when we talk about the accounting side, like I said, you know, you have QuickBooks Online, QuickBooks uh, Self-Employed, a software called Xero. Um, you know, there's a lot of software out there on, on that side. And even just sending an invoice uh, as easy as getting paid by people. Mm-hmm. That's another thing we see people run into issues where they're like, well, I, I send them a paper invoice in the mail. And then they send me a paper check and my, my receivable turnaround time is 45 days. Mm-hmm. Well, how could we automate that where you send them an invoice directly when you're finished the job, you can send it from your phone, email it to them. They can give you a check there. Now we've turned a 45 day turnaround time into to zero potentially. Um, so it's just kind of utilizing and, and these software pieces, they're not complex. We're not buying a, a you know, $10,000 yep. ERP system or something like that. This is a, um, small monthly subscription to be able to do these types of things. And even on the tax side, you know, we, we always say, let, let's get into a process. Let's, let's plan that March, February, March is when we're going to meet with our accountant and get our taxes filed. June is when we're going to do our tax planning. Why June? Because we have a half a year's worth of data to go by from January to June. We kind of know where our business is at and we still have a half a year left to implement these strategies that we want to do. And, and the cool thing about tax plan is oftentimes the strategies that we're going with are things that can be repeated on a regular basis. So if we decide, yeah, we're going to hire our kids in our business, that can be something that's been done every single year. So we're not reinventing the wheel every year on tax strategies. We might just be adding a few more. So we hire our kids this year and the next year we find out about this 14-day home rental rule and we might start using utilizing that as a business tax strategy and just kind of adding on to it from there. But it's, it's all a cumulative total that can continue to be used as a tax strategy. So you mentioned that a couple times, the hiring the kids, and I'm curious about it, having a kid uh, who I haven't yet hired, but who does, kind of does work. Not really. Um, so <laughs> so, so how, does the, how does the hiring the kids into the business work? Yeah. So, you know, this is, you know, there's, we can obviously hire anybody we want at any point in our business, mm-hmm. but when it's our own child, there, there, there is some tax advantages that come into it. And, and really anybody, the idea behind this is that anybody, their first $12,000 roughly of income, they don't pay taxes on. So okay. we, we have a 10 year old child that's, that's, that's we're, that, that we're paying for stuff anyways. Um, if we pay them $10,000 a year, they're not going to pay taxes on that, but we're going to get a business deduction for it. And so the idea behind hiring kids is what can we find ways within our business for things that they can be doing that we can pay a reasonable rate for, of course, uh, that we can get a business deduction for and they potentially pay no income taxes on that. And, and this kind of touches on this point of, of after-tax and pre-tax dollars. Mm-hmm. When we're talking with business owners, and this is kind of the idea of maximizing deductions, there's two different ways that we can look at, ta- at, at money that we own. There's pre-tax dollars. And then there's after-tax dollars. And so what I like to compare those two is let's think of a W-2 own, uh, W-2 worker. They don't own a business. They're just working for somebody else for a W-2. 
any spending they do is on money that's already been taxed. So they get their gross wages, they get all these taxes taken out, and then whatever's left over gets deposited into their bank account. And then any spending that they do from there is on money that's already been taxed. Where And a good example of this is, let's say COVID hit, you're working in an office, now you're stuck to come home. And mm-hmm. so now you're working out of a home office. You have to go buy a desk, you're using your own internet, you're doing all these things in your home office, and you're getting no advantage for that. That desk you bought, that internet you're paying, that portion of your house that you're using, you're just using after-tax dollars for all that. Mm-hmm. But as a business owner, we get to flip the switch and we can switch, turn after-tax dollars into pre-tax dollars because as a business we have sales or revenue and then we have all of our expenses that go into that and then whatever's left over is what we get taxed on so with this idea if we buy if we buy that desk if we have a home office if we have uh internet that we're paying for these are all things that at least a portion of it we can move into the business get a business deduction prior to that money even being taxed and so our idea as a business owner is saying, what can I, where can I be strategic? Where can I find after-tax spending, spending that I'm going to do no matter what, but how can I find that after-tax spending and move it into pre-tax spending? And so this is the idea with the kids. You know, we're going to be paying for basketball camps. We're going to be buying toys when we go shopping. We're going to be doing for these, these things for our children anyways. That's all after-tax spending. But if we hire them in our business, find a valid reason for them to bring them into the business, they're going to get paid for that. They can go buy their own basketball camp, pay for their own basketball camp, and now we're getting a tax deduction for it. So it's kind of this idea of maximizing deductions. Most people, when they hear maximizing deductions, they're thinking, I'm going to go buy a car that I don't need. I'm going to go buy this computer that I don't need. And that's that's exactly not the idea behind it. Now, if you need those things, of course, go buy and get a business deduction for it. But the idea behind maximizing deduction is not buying things that you don't need. It's taking spending that you've already done or you do no matter what and seeing if we can find a business purpose for that and get that in the business instead of just buying random stuff that we don't need. And I think it's one of the most overlooked, uh, simple, easy to understand strategy that uh, people just don't even think about. Don't, don't, even, don't even bother to say, where can I do some bring extra business spending into the business? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that that's certainly something I do. And that's, that's so simple. I can do it. Um, I have, you know, my business credit card and my personal credit card and anything that I feel like I can justify being a business expense, I pull out the business credit card and anything that's, you know, obviously personal. Um, one of the, one of the deductions I found valuable is the mileage deduction. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that's one of the few that does not link directly from how much you spent to how much you can deduct. So exactly. So and, driving and- a, a Honda Civic and getting the same deduction that they have for Ford F-350s is a yeah. pretty good opportunity. Yeah, and that's a great that's a great point that you bring up too. And the cool thing about that is it's comboing the strategies together. When we look at the mileage deduction, I like to combo that with a home office. So mm-hmm. even if you have an office that you go to for your business, let's say you own a print shop and you have a, an office that you drive to to do your print shop work, you can still have a home office. Without a home office, when you go from your house to your print shop, there's no tax deduction there. That's considered a commute. It's yeah. not a deductible mile. But what if we now we have an office where we do administrative work from? We send invoices. We do our bookkeeping from our home office. Now when we go from office to office, we have a deductible trip. So not only, you know, I always say the home office deduction isn't going to be a, a game changer. It's not going to impact you a ton. But when we can take the home office deduction 
and then pile on top of that more mileage that we can now take. Now we are now we're kind of double doubling up on that tax deduction that makes a little bit more sense to to utilize. Well, that sound you may have heard was my mind blowing. Boom. <laughs> I, I knew I knew you you couldn't deduct commuting even to your own your own business office. But so if you have a home office and you have a an offsite office, then traveling between those would then become business travel. Yeah, assuming because it would just be like let's say you had two locations. Uh-huh. Uh, let's say you had. Uh, two McDonald locations, and you had no home office. If you go from your house to location number one, commute, no deduction. But now if you go from location number one to location number two, that's a tax deduction because okay. you're not you're going from office to office. So when we bring this idea of having a home office, you know, assuming that we have a legitimate home office that qualifies, now we're going from an office to an office. Our commute turned from our bed to our home office, and when we go from our home office to our physical office, that's a tax deduction now. Oh, wow. That's amazing. This is to, this is totally worth the price of admission to this podcast right here. If, <laughs> you, are, if you are not deducting your trip to your, your business office, um, getting a home office would be, because for some people, that'll add up to hundreds or thousands of dollars of deductions. Yeah, potentially. And, and so that's, that's, that's where we always encourage in, in our podcast, the tax t- uh, strategies that we're talking about, things like that. It's, it's encouraging business owners to kind of get, get this tax planning mind thinking. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot out there that's available, but people just aren't thinking about taking advantage of it. Or they think, you know, that deduction, if I, if I take that meal expense, I went out with a, a friend that's a client of mine and I just paid for it personally. If I take that as a business deduction, it's $20. What's it worth? But, you know, that's the mindset where $20 every week is now adding up and then we mm-hmm. get our mind thinking in different areas that's adding up even more. So, um, you know, there, there's things that we call baseline tax strategies and these are things that are easy to understand, easy to implement. And, uh, you know, these are things like maximizing deductions, hiring your kids, mm-hmm. doing those types of things in your business that everyone can easily understand, can easily implement. And as long as you have a documentation, the business purpose, what's backing that up, you have nothing to worry about. You can sleep easy at night. Now, so if you, uh, actually I have two questions about the meal deduction. JV Connect is coming up quick, December 12th and 13th. If you are looking for a networking event where you can meet people who aren't looking to just pitch you or take, but actually want to collaborate, build strategic partnerships, joint ventures, maybe even find some mentors, some coaches, people to support you, accountability partners, who knows? If you're looking for good people in an environment that's not stressful, but is set up to give you a lot of great connections in an efficient amount of time, check out JV Connect, jv-connect.com. That's jv-connect.com, December 12th and 13th, 2023. We'll see you there.